a major boost to BC housing. We've had dozens of First Nations, local governments, and other landowners coming forward saying, how can we participate in this program? Ottawa offers billions of dollars to help build more homes. Allegations of shoddy work endangering the Granville Bridge. The civil lawsuit launched by the city, pointing out what it says are defects damaging the span. And a new twist in BC's wine war. So clearly there's not an equitable trade relationship at play here. Alberta offers a potential solution to the standoff, but it's too soon to pop a cork. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Middle class renters are going to get a major increase in housing supply. The federal government is doubling the money available for the BC government's new housing program. And as Alyssa Thibault shows us, the $2 billion investment from Ottawa comes just a week after the Premier rolled out BC Builds. The Prime Minister's visit to Vancouver came with praise for the Premier. Truly extraordinary leadership. And a whole lot of cash. Justin Trudeau announcing a $2 billion contribution to the NDP's new housing program targeting middle-income earners, bringing the program's value up to nearly $5 billion. This will support, at a minimum, eight to 10,000 new homes over the next few years, with more to come as even more land is secured. BC Builds was unveiled last week. It aims to boost new rental developments by using public land, offering low-interest construction loans and streamlining the permitting process down to 18 months instead of up to five years. Rents will then be set at no more than 30% of a household's income. The big problem we have in BC is people earn decent incomes, but they can't find a place that they can afford. Renters who will qualify for studio or one-bedroom apartments will be households making between eighty-four and nearly $132,000 a year. Households making between one hundred and thirty-four to nearly $192,000 will qualify for two bedrooms or larger. Ranges will differ by communities. They really believe that the answer to the problem in housing, not the private sector, oh God, no, they can't possibly deliver it, it's government. Government to the rescue. BC opposition leader Kevin Falcon says provincial land should be used for below market rentals. And the way I would do that is by offering up pieces of provincial government lands on a 99 year lease at a buck a year and in return require that the private sector or the not for profits uh, build and construct rentals that will be below market rentals. Tuesday's announcement also included the fourth BC Builds location, a co-op housing project in Yaletown at a site previously marked for social housing. The Premier says plans for home ownership are also in the works, with details yet to come. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. Housing affordability is one of the focal points in the BC government's latest speech from the throne. And as Richard Zussman reports, the NDP government is signaling fiscal restraint is not their priority heading into the budget and the fall election campaign. Laying out a course for their re-election attempt. Your government is committed to rejecting division and working to bring people together to solve problems. Because here in BC, our best days are still ahead of us. Lieutenant Governor Janet Austin reading out government speech from the throne, a vision short on specifics, but clearly aimed at attracting voters for October's election. In this session, action will be taken to protect renters from bad faith evictions and to help more first-time homebuyers get on the ownership ladder. 
There were some specifics, a more connected system of mental health and addictions care, reducing carbon emissions for big industrial emitters, better support for First Nations mandated post-secondary institutions, and addressing cost of living through new actions to help people with the root causes of unaffordability. If you look at the amount of affordable housing that would have continued to be built if federal and provincial governments invested in housing, we wouldn't have the massive shortfall that we have right now. The government also promising to bring in legislation restricting protests at schools, similar to stopping protests at hospitals during the pandemic. We're seeing an approach um, of government interfering more and more in the day-to-day -day lives, of government overriding uh, democratic processes. Ceasefire now! Ceasefire now! Protesters calling for a ceasefire in the Israel-Palestine conflict occupied part of the front entrance of the legislature, forcing the lieutenant governor to enter in a different door. But it was concerns over content rather than protest BC United wanted to discuss. The opposition believes very strongly in results and focusing on policy that's going to drive different outcomes by doing things differently. Doing more of the same will get us exactly what we see right now, just more of it. And while the speech was lacking details that should be short-lived, the budget, full of numbers and details, is coming Thursday. Richard Zosping, Global News, Victoria. Okay, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the throne speech. And as Richard pointed out, very few details in that speech. But what's mm -hmm. the message Premier David Eby trying to send here? Yeah, the language used in throne speeches is very much offers a clue of where the government's heading. And over and over again in the speech today, stressed about how government's there to work for people, not to shrink, as Richard pointed out in the story, no restraint uh, coming. But this particular passage of the speech stood out to me because I think this is going to shape where the government's heading. Take a look at this. This is one part of the speech read by Lieutenant Governor Janet Austin. Your government makes a simple commitment to you. It will have your back. So you are not facing these new challenges alone because leaving people to fend for themselves does not work. That's a clear indication, I think, that the government tends to expand government services and government programs that help people rather than shrinking. Already we know, according to the fiscal plan, the current uh, projection for a deficit is $3.75 billion in the coming year. Don't be surprised if that number grows uh, as a result of this seemingly commitment to having bigger government and more government services. Mm -hmm. And there's a cost attached to that. What do we expect in the budget that's coming down on Thursday? Well, first of all, I think that deficit may very well be larger because of this commitment now to expand the uh, offerings of government to help people, not just low income, as we've been reporting for a week now, a big shift to now offering things to the middle class family income, so almost $200,000. So look for an expansion of existing aid programs and some new commitments. When Premier David Eby has hinted about having such things as an energy rebate tied to energy prices, giving money back to people. Also, uh, housing will continue to be a big part of the budget. Look for attacks against flipping homes. That's going to be part of the budget as well. One o'clock on Thursday. It's an hour earlier than normal, so it's going to be interesting. We'll be carrying that live on BC One. All right. Look forward to your coverage. As always, Keith, thanks very much. Right. So Alberta says it's willing to strike a deal with BC to end the wine war that cut off a significant source of revenue for local wineries. Alberta will allow direct-to-consumer sales if BC agrees to some major concessions. And Aaron MacArthur shows us why it could be tough to swallow. I'm sure. It's a dark what has so far been only a war of words 
might not get to liquor store shelves after all. According to the Alberta government, there is a solution on tap. We're willing to put a process in place that will allow for direct-to-consumer shipments uh, as long as the tax is collected. But if we're going to do that, we want something in return. The trade spat popped up out of the blue several weeks ago when the Alberta government demanded BC wineries stop shipping product direct to consumers. Alberta arguing it is losing out on significant tax revenue. Earlier this year, Alberta Gaming, Liquor and Cannabis sent a letter to BC wine producers telling them to stop shipping direct, saying if the wineries didn't comply, it would start refusing to stock shipments headed to Alberta restaurants and liquor stores. Now the trade dispute is spilling over into the beer aisle, Alberta's brewing industry says BC rules make it challenging for outside players to get on store shelves. As it stands right now, our breweries have a much better chance of getting their product into the U.S. or overseas than they do in pretty much any other province in Canada, BC included. Some in BC's wine industry see this announcement as moving the needle. But behind the scenes, there are some in the BC distilling and brewing sectors who say this is nothing more than posturing. Alberta asking for something that BC won't give up. BC's minister responsible for liquor distribution says negotiations are progressing. Our staff are meeting with their staff uh, to find a way that uh, resolves things to uh, everybody's mutual benefit. Albertan products already flow into BC direct to consumers under the table, people taking advantage of lower prices east of the Rockies. While Albertan brewers are looking for easier access to shelf space here, the BC government is carefully weighing its options. The ball's in their court. If they're willing to work with us, we're absolutely willing to work with them, but we will need an equitable trade relationship. Mike Farnworth remains clear. Alberta can't have it both ways. With so much money at stake in both provinces, something has to give. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. In a bit of a surprising development, the city of Vancouver is taking three companies to court over what it calls deficiencies and defects in the rehabilitation work on the Granville Bridge. Angela Jung joins us with details of the civil lawsuit. And Angela, what are the main concerns for the city here? Chris, this lawsuit claims that the three contractors were negligent and failed to properly design and construct the rehabilitation work on the Granville Street Bridge. This lawsuit makes some alarming allegation. Rehabilitation work on the 70-year-old Granville Street Bridge meant to improve the aging infrastructure may have made things worse. The city of Vancouver suing three contractors for work they did between 2019 and 2021. The lawsuit names Associated Engineering, Graham Infrastructure and Ross Rex Industrial Painters as the defendants. It lists several defects and deficiencies, including water or runoff, associated debris and substances falling down the bridge, and alleged corrosion and degradation to the bridge's structural steel members and bolts. I'm holding some pieces of uh, flaked off steel. Back in 2019, when the upgrades were happening, we talked to David McCann about chunks of steel that have plummeted from the bridge. He believes the recent lawsuit is just the tip of the iceberg. It's never ending. It's been going on for years. We've had nuts and bolts and other miscellaneous pieces of steel constantly coming down off the bridge. And, and I'm just amazed that nobody's been hit and hurt. In the lawsuit, the city claims the damage poses a real and substantial danger to those who use the bridge. 
But in a statement, it says the Granville Street Bridge does not pose any structural safety risks to the public. This language is a legal requirement for the claim. Certainly alarming, having walking here every day. Sounds pretty scary. Personally, I've never seen anything fall, so I don't know that I have a substantial concern. But McCann, who's lost tenants over the years due to the ongoing maintenance of the bridge, says he has serious concerns about the safety of the bridge. Anytime you get three-foot three, three foot pieces of steel falling off something, there's something wrong. The city is looking for the contractors to pay up. It's seeking an unspecified amount of damages. None of the allegations have been proven in court. And Angela, what are the contractors saying about the allegations, if anything? Well, the contractors haven't filed a response in court yet. We did call all three of them. Only Associated Engineering got back to us, and it says that the bridge is safe and it's working collaboratively with the city to investigate some of the issues that have been raised in this lawsuit. Chris? All right, we'll see how it plays out. Angela Jung reporting for us tonight. Thanks, Angela. A major commercial vehicle blitz in Abbotsford today, making sure truck drivers are complying with the rules and keeping their vehicles safe. As Grace Key shows us, it turns out many of them aren't, and they paid the price. So if I can do that with my bare hand, you can imagine what another vehicle or even a speed bump. Like, that's ridiculous. This is a rag rubbing up against sharp metal, holding up a bumper. On top of that, there's no air in one of the tires. And this truck is sharing the road with you. That's my responsibility and I'm on the road, so it's, it's my mistake and I take responsibility for that, but it's unfortunate. A major commercial vehicle inspection got underway in Abbotsford with multiple agencies participating, and it didn't take long to find problems. The sheer fact that I can move something this heavy and do this. Imagine what this guy's doing every time he comes through a red light. It's moving this much. That comes out. I hope, I hope it wasn't secured like that when he was driving. You can see that there's fraying there in the left side of the strap. This truck was stopped for a broken taillight and windshield, an unsecure load. If this truck is going at 100 kilometers an hour and all of a sudden has to make a quick lane change, all of the weight is going to shift in the direction that vehicle's going, and that could be enough to put this vehicle in the ditch, right? So not only is it not safe for the driver, it's also not safe for any other vehicle that's on the road. Records show back in August, this same truck was pulled over for similar issues. The owner says the driver didn't tell them. Most time it is um, secured up. We just had, didn't do it after our last job, so it's not too big of an issue for us. Out of the 87 inspections completed, 268 violations were identified and 70 violations met out-of-service criteria. Some vehicles are able to make repairs on the spot. Others with brake issues or other mechanical problems have to be towed. These vehicles, they need to be regularly inspected by a professional. They need to be maintained. They need to go through all the regular workings, just like your car and my car have to. These vehicles have that type of maintenance, if not more so. It's inspections like these that hopefully keep drivers in check and the roads safer for everyone. Grace Key, Global News. And a crash involving several semi-trucks is causing major delays along a stretch of highway between Revelstoke and Golden. BC EHS was called to the crash scene just after 7 this morning, just east of Glacier National Park. Video shows four transport trucks at the scene. At least three of them have significant damage. One person received medical care and was taken to hospital. Just one alternating lane of traffic is getting through there. The investigation and cleanup are expected to take hours. 
The next update from Drive BC isn't expected until 7.30 this evening. Keep that in mind if you're heading in that direction. Kelowna RCMP are recommending charges of criminal negligence causing death after a crane collapse killed five people in 2021. The RCMP's Serious Crimes Unit has completed its investigation into the incident and has submitted a report for charge assessment to the B.C. Prosecution Service. The collapse happened July of 2021 in downtown Kelowna, killing four crane workers and one man who was working in the building next door. Vancouver police are asking for the public's help to identify a woman who died from a suspected drug overdose. VPD say the woman, believed to be in her 20s, had two distinctive tattoos, a heart on her left wrist and a tattoo with butterflies around the phrase, love me for who I am, just below her left collarbone. Her body was found near the Knight Street Bridge in South Vancouver on November 8th of last year. Anyone who has information about her identity is asked to contact police. Surrey RCMP say charges have been laid against two teenagers relating to a high-profile shooting in South Surrey. It happened earlier this month when police received a shots-fired call at a home in the 2800 block of 154th Street. At the time, some in the community suggested the shooting could have been linked to the Indian government. But days later, Surrey RCMP Serious Crimes Unit seized three guns while searching a home near 77th Avenue and 140th Street in Surrey. The two 16-year-old boys were arrested last week and are now being held in custody, awaiting their next court appearance. For a hospital-bound senior, watching TV is one of life's few remaining pleasures. But the TV in her hospital room has been broken since before Christmas. They've made the request to have it fixed or moved to a room with a working TV. But you might be surprised to find out neither of those solutions has happened. That's next on the News Hour. The punishment for this driver caught speeding in a bus lane a little later. Plus, encouraging inflation data and how it impacts anyone who buys groceries or borrows money a little later as well. Right now, though, a former nurse who is now a long-term patient at Victoria's Royal Jubilee Hospital is struggling without a television in her room. Watching her favorite shows is one of the few remaining joys in her life. But as Kylie Stanton reports, a dispute with a contractor means the broken TV hasn't been fixed for weeks. Here we go. Diane Moffat is no stranger to hospitals, spending much of her career right here at Royal Jubilee. Registered nurse. Back then, her work kept her busy, but this time around, here we go. Things are different. She's been here uh, since the 27th of December. Moffat, who is being treated for a urinary tract infection, also has Alzheimer's disease, but her long-term memory is still very much there especially when prompted. She particularly likes uh, the word game shows like Jeopardy, uh, Wheel of Fortune, because she'd be watching one of these things and some little historical quest will pop up and bingo, there's the answer. But during her stay here, that's off the table. No power, no sound, no picture, no TV. The TV in her room hasn't worked since she was first admitted. And despite requests to have it fixed, swap it out, or even move to a functional one, Moffat has been told there is nothing anyone can do. And knowing his wife isn't alone, he's decided to make some noise. I think I'll just 
go to bat. According to Island Health, the TV services are provided by a contractor, Health Hub Solutions. In a statement writing, it is aware of the faulty TV in this specific room and are working with the service provider to replace it as soon as possible. BC's health minister says he's also aware of the situation. Obviously, we're not happy that someone hasn't got the television fixed. That's an issue for our contractor, and I've asked uh, Island Health to look into that. Global BC's repeated attempts to reach a representative at Health Hub Solutions for comment went unanswered. Only confirming with Island Health late this afternoon it would be on site Wednesday to address the issue. Stuff seems to be all plugged in up here. After the long-fought battle, Moffat will take the win, not just for his wife, but all patients whose patience is wearing thin. Let's get the thing going for everybody. Kylie Stanton, Global News. BC SPCA animal protection officers have rescued 31 dogs from a breeder in Clearwater. The dogs include dachshunds, poodles, and mini schnauzers. They were surrendered by their owner following an animal cruelty investigation, which revealed they were kept in a dark building without adequate heating or socialization. One senior dachshund even had to be put down. The BC SPCA says it'll be recommending charges and it's still not known when the dogs will be available for adoption. Still ahead, zombie fires in BC's north. These fires can be a concern, as I said, depending on where they, they, they crop up. The danger still smoldering under the snow this winter and the impact when the weather warms up. Plus, clearing the air, Parkland Refinery addresses concerns about what happened that caused this stink across Metro Vancouver. We're all ready where BC starts its mornings. It's really humbling. It's a real privilege, to be honest. Time in the morning with your kids and getting ready for work, that's precious. That's why Sonia, Mark, Caitlin, and myself work so hard to keep British Columbians informed. Our job is to prepare you for the day ahead. We deliver the news, but we get to have a bit of fun. I want people to start their day with a smile. We all do it because we love it, and you feed off that passion. Wake up to Global News Morning. Weekdays from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. We are BC's News. BC's worst ever wildfire season in 2023 never really ended with many fires still burning into 2024. The mild, dry weather creates perfect conditions for a record number of so-called zombie fires. Cassidy Moscone reports. In 2023, we watched BC burn. Six firefighters killed. A record-breaking 2.84 million hectares of land burned. So hot, the remnants of summer's devastation still lingers beneath the surface in the dead of winter. This fall, we just didn't get the saturating rains that we needed. And so those fires have crept below ground and are kind of smoldering below the surface of the, of the soils. They're called zombie fires or holdover fires, embers smouldering under layers of snow. There are about 90 of those fires, mostly in the northeast part of the province, although a few in the caribou. The ecosystems up there have a very deep duff depths, which is basically duff is just decomposing vegetative or woody biomass. That's what makes it possible for these fires to burn underground is that they have lots of fuel. Under control now, the danger is if they cross into unburnt territory. If over the winter they have actually moved under the fire guard and into unburnt adjacent area, and then that's when they can get back up and then they can reignite a forest fire. 
Experts say we can thank climate change. More extreme um, temperatures and drought in the summertime are all contributing to both the size of the fires, the intensity of the fires and the chances that they'll continue to smoulder through the winter. Little can be done now. So unless something happens over the next couple of weeks here and we get a, you know, a big influx of precipitation or the spring ends up being you know, very, very wet, then we're entering this fire season in, in no better condition than we left it uh, last fall. Authorities watching and waiting on high alert for the snowmelt come spring. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. Parkland Refinery is speaking to Burnaby residents this evening, almost a month after an emissions incident produced a foul odour across Metro Vancouver. At the time, the refinery said it ran into an issue while undergoing a restart. The bad odour forced the regional district to issue an air quality bulletin. The refinery is located in North Burnaby, and earlier this month, City Council called for an independent investigation into the incident. Parkland says it wants a chance to clear the air. At the beginning of the month of January, uh, it was uh, exceptionally cold. In fact, it was so cold that uh, it was the first time in 40 years that we had to shut down the refinery due to the cold weather. And uh, we were in the process of restarting the facility. And during that process of restarting the facility, we had a plugged line that ultimately led uh, to the event on the 21st of January. Underway about an hour ago at the Executive Suites Hotel and Conference Centre in Burnaby. We'll have coverage on our later newscasts. In the meantime, a new line of protection against digital crimes. What cyber insurance promises to do for you and what you should consider before you buy it. Coming up. And good news in January's inflation numbers. What a BLT sandwich can tell us about the trend in grocery prices. The CKNW Kids Fund Pink Shirt Day campaign recognizes the importance of diversity. Pink Shirt Day, Wednesday, February 28th. Presented by Fortis BC. Purchase this year's shirt at London Drugs. Canada's annual inflation rate fell to 2.9% last month. Much better news for already strained household budgets. Price growth decelerated in five of the eight main components of the Consumer Price Index, including food. And Gaviola has more. You can thank gas prices, which were the main driver of inflation, tumbling for the month of January. Inflation is a comparison, so the fact that prices at the pumps were climbing rapidly a year ago means the latest inflation read is tamer in comparison. It was good news for consumers, for businesses, and for the Bank of Canada. And I think we could all use some good news there were other deflationary factors too, including a break on food inflation. It settled at levels we haven't seen since the fall of 2021. In fact, some of the price breaks were on items used to make a BLT sandwich. Bacon cost 8.4% less, the price of tomatoes down nearly 10%, and lettuce more than 18% cheaper. But the cost of food in restaurants remained elevated, rising 5%. The Canadian Chamber of Commerce's senior economist blames the affordability crisis. Operating a business is really challenging right now. You've got increased costs, you've got higher insurance, you've got higher rent, uh, you've got to pay your workers more. One area where costs remain stubbornly high, shelter. Whether it's higher mortgage costs, taking an increasingly big bite out of household budgets, or soaring rents. If inflation continues on this trend, it increases the chances of a rate cut from the Bank of Canada. We are 
optimistic that the Bank of Canada will uh, start bringing down interest rates uh, sometime this year, hopefully sooner rather than later, but that is their decision to make. Most economists expect a rate cut this spring or summer, and some analysts see that coming even later. At this point, we're expecting rates to come down in the spring. I think we're most likely going to see those rates decrease, hopefully by the summer, if not the early fall. Anne Gaffiola, Global News, Toronto. Cyber attacks are on the rise, and these crimes can lead to people losing anything from money to their entire identity. It's why some firms are now offering personal cyber insurance. But do you really need it? Global's Sean Preville reports. Whether you're doing your banking online or just browsing the web, the risks that come with being online can seem everywhere. And now some companies are offering insurance pitched as added protection if your personal information gets stolen. It's really helpful for consumers because it's protecting against the, the what-ifs that could happen. Cybercrimes are on the rise in Canada. Police reported slightly more than 74,000 cases in 2022, up from almost 72,000 the year prior and nearly 34,000 in 2018. Still, experts say cybercrime is underreported because some feel embarrassment for being tricked. A senior manager with Aviva Canada told Global News there are examples every single day of people being taken advantage of for simply logging on to the wrong website. Carolyn Boris with Chubb Personal Risk Services says she expects the interest in personal cyber insurance to rise as cybercrime continues. There is that growing awareness that it isn't just for commercial enterprises and businesses, that it really is out there for individuals. But do you really need insurance specifically for cybercrime? Coverage varies on the provider and plan. This can range from reimbursement for unauthorized bank account use to helping customers if they're being extorted and even assistance when facing cyberbullying. Some of those services might already be covered by your credit card company or credit monitoring services. The Insurance Bureau of Canada says Canadians should think about their needs and have a broad strategy for protection. And whatever you decide, not to use cyber insurance as a replacement for unique passwords, security updates, and being aware online. Sean Preville, Global News. Just ahead, the easiest thing to do to help save a life. Educate, educate the students, educate people at the school of why blood donation is so important. How a high school project with a very personal twist is raising awareness about blood donation. Plus, Baines gets his big break. The new face in the Canucks lineup tonight, making his NHL debut. We talked about mild temperatures earlier. Well, it's so mild it's being blamed for the early closure of Kelowna's outdoor skating rink. The Stewart Park skating rink seems more like a pond. It will shut down for the season this Wednesday at 11 a.m. The city says warmer temperatures are making it too difficult to maintain the ice. It adds that it normally gives more notice about the outdoor skating season coming to an end, but that just wasn't possible in this case. Too bad, but yes, it does feel an awful lot like spring out there with this mild weather. Christy's got the latest on our forecast right now. Christy. 
Thanks so much, Chris. Yeah, I thought we'd just start off with looking at the temperatures. Actually, around the coastal regions, although seemingly mild, it is near seasonal for this time of year. Not the case in the interior regions. For example, typical daytime high in Kelowna is 3 degrees for this time of year, and they're at 7 degrees right now. Look at a Soyuz at 8 degrees, and really that has been the pattern throughout much of the month, except for this, really those first two weeks in January where we sort of had a quick bout of winter. Um, in the long range, though, and I'm going to show you this, we do have a massive change in the forecast. First, I just want to talk about the precipitation in the next 24 to 36 hours. We are going to continue with waves of rainfall across the south coast area. We are going to also see showers for those of you in the interior, although there may be a few flurries for the mountain passes through the overnight period. But this is what I wanted to show you. It looks like we're going to see a massive change in the weather pattern beginning late weekend into next week. When we get a massive change like this in the long-range forecast, yes, it has a possibility of changing. So we're going to sort of track this over the next few days. But because it is such a major change and it looks fairly stable, this change, uh, we're really hoping that that's the case. It means snowfall for the mountains, certainly, and it even means the potential for snow for the Vancouver region, even at lower elevations. So that's well below average for this time of year expected next week. Again, days away, but that's a heads up for you, especially for all you skiers out there. And of course, we need the snowpack. Tomorrow, though, double digit temperatures in Kamloops, 10 degrees as a daytime high, and we're expecting periods of rain on and off for the south coast area. So 10 degrees, and we'll likely see that shower activity into the early part of Thursday before we start to see breaks of blue sky. Nice break, a uh, bright end to our work week, as you can see on Friday. But we're back into cloud cover over the weekend. And as I mentioned, by Sunday, we'll start to see that drop in temperature, and we'll likely see that into next week. So stay tuned for further details on that long-range forecast. Tonight's Central Windows weather window coming to you from Bowser. Francis sharing that shot of the sunset. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Francis. Okay, back to you, Chris. Great salmon fishing up there in Bowser. All right, thanks very much. Christy Squire joins us now with a look ahead to sports. I know you mentioned it a bit earlier. A local mm -hmm. kid is getting his first game with his hometown team. Our Steve Baines of Surrey is playing for the Vancouver Canucks tonight. Yeah, for sure. I think that's every kid's dream to play for their, their hometown team. Yeah, he's in Colorado getting a chance to play against some of the NHL's best players and best team. Wishing good luck to him, obviously, too. Also ahead. If I can help and if I can get my community to help out, then that's really important. A high school senior spreading awareness about the importance of blood donation based on a very personal experience. from Global News inviting you to the Latako Kunal 2024 BC Winter Games, a celebration of sport and community February 22nd to the 25th. Competitions are free to watch. Visit bcgames.org. Squires here again with sports and uh, look ahead to the Canucks game. Yes, well, it's actually already started. I suppose you're right. Yeah. I know, but they're having a little mm. intermission break right now. So tonight is the night Arshdeep Baines got to play for the Vancouver Canucks. His... Uh, First ever game in the NHL. Now, he was with the Abbotsford Canucks. He was their most promising player this season. He was not only Abby's rep in the AHL All-Star game, he was also named the game's MVP. And with the injury to Dakota Joshua, Baines was the first player the Canucks thought of. But his journey isn't just Abbotsford to Vancouver. It's Surrey, 
to Vancouver because Surrey is where he grew up. And remember something else about Arsteep Baines. He was never drafted in the NHL. He was never drafted into the Western Hockey League, but he eventually made the Red Deer Rebels. He won the WHL scoring title in 21-22. And one thing about going from Abbotsford to Vancouver, the Canucks try to structure how both teams play equally so there shouldn't be a strategic change. Yeah, I think just having the same structures in Abbotsford as they do in Van and having the, you know, like the Sedins and all those development guys come out to tell us the same things that they do in Van, it's just an easy transition, I'd say. Another transition for Arshdeep Baines is the fact that he grew up in Surrey, idolizing the Vancouver Canucks, loving the Canucks as a team, and now he gets to play for them. Yeah, for sure. I think that's every kid's dream to play for their, their hometown team, so it's... Uh, it's nothing short of that, and I think uh, I'll, be, I'll be ready to go. Now, one thing about a Canucks-Avalanche matchup, it features the two best defensemen in the NHL, Quinn Hughes against Kale McCarr, also two of the best teams, although the Canucks are a bit shell-shocked and perhaps still seen red after all those red goal lights lit up yesterday in Minnesota. That was just the fourth game in the NHL since the year 2000 where there have been 17 goals. But it was a weird game, and the Canucks were beaten because of five-on-threes mainly, which isn't likely to happen again tonight. And back to R.S.T. Baines. There he is, getting on the ice. The best thing about tonight in Colorado, his father is there to witness his first-ever NHL game as well. Thatcher Demko didn't play against Minnesota, but he has to make a nice save here off one of the best, Nathan McKinnon. And then J.T. Miller, who had a hat-trick against the Wild, although it was outdone by two hat-tricks from Minnesota players. Harrison Eck and Kaprizov does score the only goal of the first period to give Vancouver a 1-0 lead after 20. The Vancouver Rugby Sevens will start this Friday and run all weekend at BC Place. Canada is, of course, in both the men's and women's tournament. Canada is sixth overall after three events this year for the women. And Jay is down at BC Place where both Canadian teams are practicing. And he's with women's team captain Olivia Apps. Well, the day is almost here, HSBC Vancouver Sevens. I think of all the events that you play, eight in total, this is the one that you can't wait to come to town and, and get it going on. This is the one, yeah. It's an absolute pleasure to play in BC Place, especially last year, being the first time that the women's HSBC is here at BC Place. It's just so exciting to be able to do it again. Start of the season, you start off very well. You make it to the semifinals. Right now, you're middle of the pack, sitting sixth. How has the season gone for the women's program on, on the sevens? Yeah, I think we're really happy with how we started. And, you know, we've had a lot of players coming into the squad with 15s players coming in and sevens players going back and forth. And I think it's really added to the value of our squad. So it's definitely been a challenging in Perth, not the way you want to finish, but we're really looking forward to performing here in Vancouver this weekend. This is always the highlight for so many people to come to this event. You play your first match on Friday, big one when you take on France at 12.58, but it's also an Olympic year does it magnify what's going to happen here this weekend yeah absolutely I mean it's we're not gonna we're not gonna try to um, avoid the fact that there's pressure you know it is an Olympic year we want to perform in Paris but we're really taking one tournament at a time and for us Vancouver Sevens this weekend is an opportunity to really peak performance and peak our physical ability but as well as our rugby and and take it as if it is our Olympics this weekend one player that we won't see is Bianca Farrell. You know, most tries, most matches played, announced her retirement last week. How much of a loss is it and how much has she meant to this program? 
Yeah, I can I could speak forever about Bianca. She's um, personally a very good friend of mine and remarkable teammate and someone I've looked up to for a while and it was an honor to share the field with her and I think that her career is one that we'll, we'll always remember but one thing for sure is that she'll be missed on the field this weekend. Um, her last tournament was actually in Vancouver Sevens last year so I'll be thinking of her this weekend but I know that uh, her legacy will just carry on forward. 12 years on the program, can I call you the Wiley veteran now yourself? I, I guess you can, yeah. <laughs> not because of my age though. No, not because of your age. Okay, so uh, France, 12.50, that's the first match on Friday. They're going to play uh, two in total. Hopefully it's a busy weekend. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. See you there. There's a lot of sirens in the background. Yeah, too, so yeah, that, that was true. Let's okay. hope that isn't the case when the tournament is going on. No. Thank you very much, Squire. Still ahead, a high school senior teaches a valuable lesson about the gift of life. From breaking news to developing stories, no one connects you to your community better than BC's number one news. Come home to the team you trust. Local news every day. Global News. We are BC's News. More and more Canadian children are at risk of going to school on an empty stomach. And it's getting harder for school nutrition programs to meet their growing need. That's why Global News is partnering with Toonies for Tummies. If you're able, please help hungry children in your community. Donate today. Jordan Armstrong is standing by in our newsroom with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, tonight a truly wild encounter in Chilliwack. Surprising eagles not coming to get them. A bobcat teetering at the very top of a large tree trying to fend off a cougar also in the tree just a few branches below. This happened Friday and went on for about 45 minutes. The homeowner still can't believe what she saw. We'll hear from her tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. Amazing video, and yes, we live so close to nature, no matter where you are in B.C. Thanks, Jordan. Very lucky. Yeah. A B.C. high school student is taking matters into her own hands, hoping to ease B.C.'s chronic blood shortage. Canadian Blood Services says 52% of Canadians will need donated blood at some point or will know someone who does. Despite that, only 4% of Canadians actually donate blood. And as Janet Brown reports, the Delta Secondary student is taking a lesson learned from her grandfather's experience and using it to organize a blood drive. I've never given blood. This will be my first time today, so I'm very excited. Delta Secondary student Tegan Papadopoulos was thinking about what to do for her grade 12 capstone project required for graduation when she came up with the idea for a blood clinic after what her grandfather went through several years ago. My grandfather in 2020, he was hospitalized, liver failure, kidney failure, and he needed transfusions every day. And obviously blood is so important for that. She wasn't sure if she would make the cut to be a blood donor, but after several steps, including a questionnaire, was given the green light. It's not scary. They're so nice here. Everyone's so comforting and it's one little prick, you'll be fine. Her mom turned up at the school gym to lend her support. Oh my gosh, there's so many things I'm proud of her for, but this particularly, I'm, I just can't even, can't even believe it. <laughs> Trudy Whitehurst is a regular blood donor. This is her 27th time. When I had to have surgery one time, I had to have three pints of blood. And so I just keep doing it in case there's someone like me. 
You think of all the reasons that blood is needed. You think of emergency rooms. You think of people, patients in hospitals that need these products and blood products that we provide. This is where they come from. They come from communities. They come from members of these communities. Surprisingly, only half of the population is eligible to donate blood. About 50% of Canadians have the capability to donate blood and realistically only about 4% do. After graduation this year, Tegan is planning to study health sciences at UBC Okanagan and as for her capstone project, she's already <laughs> been told she yeah. is likely getting an A. Very happy. Yeah. Another thing for me to be proud of for you. <laughs> That's so nice. <laughs> Janet Brown, Global News. Yeah, well-deserved A, if that is, in fact, what she gets on that assignment. Mm -hmm. Good job. Uh, okay, last word on weather before we wrap it up here, Christy. Keep your umbrella handy tomorrow. We're going to see rain on and off. Mild, as you can see, over the next few days. But again, it does look like that pattern changes next week. So a heads up, everyone. We'll keep you up to date whether that much cooler air mass shifts in. But it looks like at least for the end of our work week, we've got some nice sunshine on the way, which will be great. It's been a bit gray lately. Yeah, it really has been. And let's hope that cooler weather rolling in puts out some of those mm -hmm. zombie fires that we've been talking about. Yeah, Zombies are setting fires now? Oh, Squire, you've <laughs> oh, got to watch I from the know, start of the show. I know. I thanks, for, thanks, thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night.